welcome back to another another long distance edition of Filmcraft. Yeah, this is the third episode. Yeah. How you doing, Latif? Doing alright. Just alright. Nice. How's the weather there? Not awesome. Uh, Dublin's got weird weather, man. Yeah. It really has weird weather. It's been pretty good the last few days. Uh, yeah, I never thought I would be wearing a sweater in July, but Dublin has proved me wrong. <laughs> Is it like overcast? Uh, yeah, well, I mean... Dublin, like, the weather changes by the hour. When we woke up this morning, it looked like it was just about to pour. Mm -hmm. And then by 10.30, it was super sunny. Uh, The one thing I didn't expect about Dublin, though, is when it hits, like, 17, 18 degrees, it's super humid. So it's like a cold, hot, where you just kind of sweat. That's nice. And it's something... Yeah, I'm not (laughs) used to that at all. <laughs> but there has been some really nice days. Like this uh, this Monday, I think it was like 24 and Sunday and sunny. I was super sunburnt, so I basically just stayed inside all day, <laughs> like a vampire. That's funny. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> all right, so um, I think this is going to be a largely Latif talking episode. So why don't you introduce the topics? Um. Well, we're going to talk about lighting, and we're going to talk about some color correction and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, specifically, the way this episode came about was um, I've been seeing a whole bunch of indie film lately, and a lot of it is front lit. And Latif, why don't you just give a general, here's what front lighting is. Um, yeah, well, front lighting is basically when you light the talent or the subject that you're shooting um, from the front, or the light is coming from behind where the camera is, as opposed to behind where the subject is, and that's what front lighting is. Hmm. And since I'm not a cinematographer, I don't know like the specific terms, but why is it, whether it's just factual or in your opinion... Why does front lighting look so much worse than back lighting? Well, Barring this circumstance. Yeah, front lighting itself is is what it does is it, it flattens up the image that you're looking at, so it doesn't create shape. So, you know, if you're pointing a light like directly at an object, then all the contours and the shadows um, and and the shapes that that you're actually looking at become very flat um, and you don't actually get any depth in the image so front lighting is the opposite of what you want when you're shooting um, anything cinematic Hmm. so um, I guess right right off the bat let's just jump into when you would front light and why you would want to front light in those situations like to me the only thing that comes across just off the top of my head is like interrogation scenes like when someone's sitting down at the other end of a table in a cops across from and he just blasts light in their face yeah like i i think i you know i i do see it used as like specifically for a special effect thing so you know it could be it could be something like that um, but, you know, in my head when I think interrogation scene, I think like a small room and usually it's overhead lighting. 
it'll be like a you know oh, yeah. a hanging light over the actor and whatever but yeah totally you know with front lighting um it could very much just be like uh you're in a dark room and someone opens the door and then the light from outside the room like shines onto someone's face and that can be used as a very cool effect and and still look nice um you know that in like one of the bond movies where you know daniel craig walks into a slash of light that's that's hitting him in the eyes it's still front lighting technically but it's done very well um yeah and it's stylistic yeah but if you're if you aren't doing something like that and you just throw a lamp behind the camera pointing right at the actor it's like when they do weddings and they put like a little light on the camera Mm -hmm. what circumstances would you front light other than you're going for this very stylist stylistic thing or would that be the only circumstance where you'd want to front light well, uh, you even in the in the one we did, I, there there was one scene where we did front light, um, specifically. In what we don't say. Yeah, um, but it was done. What scene was that? Uh, the concert scene. You know, when we're getting shots of the audience. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. It, 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 it's like there's a big concert on the stage, and all the light is coming from the stage, um, backlighting the the artist. Um, so the artist looks nice as they should when they're on stage um, and then when you turn around to look at the audience they're all front lit um, but it's done on purpose because it's supposed to look yeah, like the because space that's how, yeah that's how the light would behave in real life in that situation exactly so it needs to look like it, um, as it does but at the same time it, the camera is from um a higher angle looking down at them and behind them it's all dark um so it, it looks a kind of interesting on their faces because they're all slightly paler blue um and you can tell that they're at this concert so it kind of works um and it was designed that way it wasn't supposed to be like this magical shot it was just like people at a concert and i think at the end of the day that's kind of um one of the scenarios where you might be in where you front light something is what's the natural light of the space um, and what what mentally is the lighting of the space so if you're at, at a concert and people are looking at the stage naturally the light is going to be coming from the stage onto the faces of whoever's watching the concert but um, you know so you kind of know that's what it should look like um, but even the scene okay. when we did the fireworks and the grass, that was all front lit. Um, but again, it was a special effect. Could, yeah, I was going to say, could you call that front lighting, though? Because we really dipped in and out of lighting that entire thing, right? Yeah, but the light but still came from... But I guess, like from, you said, special effect. Yeah, the light still came from above the actors towards their faces where the camera was shooting. Um, but it was supposed okay. to emulate fireworks. Um, yeah, totally. So... Again, it was kind of a special effect. So, okay, so I, yeah, I'm just picturing in my mind here, like if we were having this exact talk, but there was a cinematographer that had been, you know, he's two months into shooting stuff, and he says, "Okay, I understand that I shouldn't front light, but what you're saying with with this stage is, in this scene, that's where the night natural." light naturally came from it shined down onto the audience so in that sense it was front lit so when i move to an interior location say you're in a living room 
and he's like, my actors are facing this way. There should be a lamp behind the camera, so should I front light them? What would you tell that cinematographer, cinematographer there? Would you say, yeah, leave that lamp on and front light them, or take that, like, turn the lamp off and do some more cinematic lighting with the room? Um, no, I definitely wouldn't say leave that lamp lamp on and front light them because that's where the I didn't think you would because that's where the lamp is in the room. Um, with that stage scenario, it's not something subtle and small. It's a giant stage with huge lights hanging off of it. Um, so you can't we can't turn around and pretend that it's not there and light the reverse completely differently. But in a in a place where you're like in a living room and there's lamps in the living room. You have complete control over um, that scenario Uh, because, you know, it just takes, like, dimming a lamp down and then putting a little light beside the actor, Um, obviously motivating these lights so it's not just lit from invisible, perfect lighting sources. Um, And I think that comes with planning uh, the scene with the director, knowing where the actors are sitting, knowing the blocking, and then figuring out where your light source is. And then how you can and, use that. And knowing the location. Like, I remember when we location scouted, I'm pretty sure we looked at how we could light something in every scenario in every play- potential location we went to, right? Yeah. Uh, every location that we we thought we'd use, we, we thought about where where the actors would move through the space and then where the best way to shoot it from would be based on what the light would be. And and that just mm-hmm. you know that's just based on um, the time of day, you know the the windows and the space, you know whatever, whatever that we saw available to us. But you know there are some scenarios where we didn't have that. When we went to the furniture store to shoot, we had no game plan. We just showed up and <laughs> had to figure it out when we got yeah, there. And I'd like to throw out there that the reason we didn't have a game plan for this furniture store in what we don't say is because we had a furniture store where we did have a plan and it flooded the day before we were supposed to shoot there. So we pushed that shoot day one day, so two days after it flooded, and miraculously got a new furniture store. Just in that circumstance, we didn't get a chance to go see it beforehand. So it's not that we just said, oh, it's a furniture store, we'll figure it out on the day. We did our homework beforehand it just we had a freak accident and we couldn't end up shooting in that place so don't don't be lazy with your location scouting do the work beforehand if you can yeah yeah there's definitely um it's definitely a way to way to plan that helps you to avoid that situation but um i think first instinct is to put the light behind the camera i don't know why it's just like (laughs) even when i was in film school like the reason why i became such like a lunatic about lighting was and in the second term in film school we had to do these shoots it was on a set that we built and i had to and everyone had to work as a um, cinematographer on someone else's project so i had to work on on this one uh, classmate's project as the DP and I was like thinking about it and planning it and then when we came to the actual shoot the actors were like right in the middle of the set pushed like further back (laughs) towards the wall and you know there's nowhere for me to put the lights so I just ended up putting like like a circle of lights beside the camera and then moving like 
left and right from the camera and it was just this giant front light it was like the worst front light you could ever imagine <laughs> and the whole thing ended up being really flat and kind of like shitty looking and then the girl who had me as their dp was like really sad but she didn't want to like <laughs> she didn't want to like you know be mean to me or, and be like this looks like shit but it did look like shit I felt really bad <laughs> but that was like my lesson on not to front light and and you know okay well, yeah that that brings another question if you could go back and redo that what would you have done uh, differently I think like would, would you have one up to the director and be like you got to move these damn actors it, it would have been in pre-production because you know especially as a film student you're just kind of like I'll you know I'll I'll do it like in your head you think of the best movie ever you're like I'll do it like there will be blood <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't look like that um, and then you you realize how much planning went into there will be blood um, yep. so it's it's talking with the director beforehand where you don't even have to talk on set you just know what you guys are going to do but even even then I, I do think like on on the day like the director didn't make it the easiest for me as well you know you put the actors like right in the back yeah. back corner of a set it's very difficult to light them um my advice would always okay, be to pull okay, well. actors off of walls get them get them out of like the corners and and, and put get them. some room behind them exactly uh i mean not you don't have to do that sometimes it's necessary to put someone in a corner but yeah okay so let's Let's go back real quick to, you remember how I proposed that I, I could picture us having this talk with a two-month-old cinematographer uh, sitting beside us, and he says, okay, so what do I do in that living room? How do I change the lighting around? Like, when you're doing coverage, how do you change the lighting? If you turn around to do a reverse well, shot, shouldn't first it, thing would it be now be backlit? Where, uh, is time of day? So if you're shooting daytime, you know, where is your window? What where's the living room window, and then how are you going to use that to your advantage? Um, and generally, it's hard to do sometimes, but I'd say like don't put the light that you're using to light the scene like right outside the window, because at some point mm -hmm. you're going to see out that window. There's going to be a big ass light sitting there. <laughs> um, so my recommendation would be if you can put curtains on the windows or shears, then you might be able to get a light coming through that window and get the light far enough back and and through a big ass diffusion um that it'll just look like daylight coming in through um so ideally you have a living room with more than one window um and if you don't then that one, that window is gonna give you a lot most of the exposure and and what you don't want to do is if you're shooting um for shooting that actor looking out the window for example <laughs> what you don't want to do is place them squarely in front of that window um and when then you just get a silhouette no i mean that that could be a nice effect but when you do the reverse you'll just have like this white face um <laughs> and like this completely frontlit image but you know if you're gonna do something like that i think there are aesthetically some things you can do to help um, I'm not going to say don't do that, but for example, when you front light something, a lot of the times, like what that 
effect will be is like you're you're spotlighting something you're you're like you're lighting a subject completely um without any like hiding their face or anything so it could you know it could be used as a moment of like um clear not clarity but maybe like as a moment of like this person is not hiding from the camera or from the viewer and you're seeing all of them um but what you could do is then you know shape that light so it does not spill into the rest of the room so you just have this figure that's lit and the whole room is dark um and it it just comes down to like positioning the actor and then like cutting the light as it comes into the room so you have kind of an interesting looking image but generally what what I would recommend would be to to rotate the actor a little bit so they're looking out the window at an angle not directly through it from the front so that it looks um a little more side lit and it looks a little more um shapely uh but it it also depends on what the point of that scene is um i mean that's how i would approach yeah. a living room yeah makes sense to me totally makes sense to me um so i don't know if there's going to be an answer to this question but why do you think so many things are still front lit like i, I mentioned to you before we started uh recording i've been seeing some movies even on like amazon prime not so much netflix but like some bigger streaming services and they're all indie like really really low budget stuff but a lot of them are front lit and you can just tell that lighting really wasn't set as a priority or they just didn't think to set it as a priority on these projects why do you think there's so many of those out there uh i think usually it'll be like either an inexperienced cinematographer or or sometimes just like a lack of attention to detail for the for the image because i know a lot of people who just kind of their mindset is like we just capture the moment and it's all about like reality and all this stuff and then it just looks like ass and you've lost so much of what your meaning is because like no one will wants to watch the thing you're shooting because it doesn't look good um, and i think we have to understand that like if you know for if, if we're making cinema for making movies and they should look good um there should be some polish to these things because like it's an art form like i think what um even a lot of the the great artists um you know before there were movies people who who were painters and sculptors like they were so um uh focused on the craft the actual technical craft um and it was very important to them but that deeper meaning and, and all that great work it wouldn't be seen and visible if they didn't know what they were doing <laughs> if if michelangelo was like i want to do this this work that's going to speak to god it's going to be this amazing thing and he couldn't paint <laughs> cuz he just kept like philosophizing <laughs> about doing these things and his paint looked like his painting looked like shit people were like you're an idiot michelangelo <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have been the same story um so i think even today um although none of us will be michelangelo we should aspire to be like him in that we take the thing we do very seriously and we approach it with with a, a very fine idea of what we want it to look like as opposed to just 
it's about the feeling and then we just like shoot whatever and it looks like ass i think there's something to capturing something that that looks um powerful i'm not going to say beautiful because it's not just about capturing beauty but it's about capturing mm. honesty but in a way that is very potent yep that's it that's pretty fair um so going into what we don't say i remember we talked a lot about lighting and it was the first time we'd gone this far with lighting and made it tried to make it look as cinematic as possible and really really pushed what we could do and it turned out looking fantastic but i remember like when we were going through pre-production and even probably when we were developing it you being like you know this we're gonna need a lot more time on set for this one i'm really gonna like light the shit out of this it's gonna take time and i remember you kept saying it over and over again because i think in in your mind you were like i really need matt to know this he can't be rushing and i was totally on board the entire time but i remember you kept emphasizing that just in case i wasn't on board <laughs> um so if there was a cinematographer out there and they're like man i just booked this feature but the director's really pushy he wants to get this crazy page count done and i don't think he's going to give me time to light what would you tell that cinematographer as advice to get the time he needs to make it look good um <laughs> Well, it depends on what you're shooting. Like, if you're shooting, like, a bunch of night scenes um, in a in a house exterior, it's always going to take more time. With, you know, with night photography, you have to light. Otherwise, you won't see anything. It'll just look like the yes. lens cap is on the camera. Um, you, you know, you, you've <laughs> that got to... That style. Have some sort of conversation with the director about, okay, look... You know these scenes we can blow through them quickly maybe because you know they're pretty they're pretty simple um and then these scenes here we should schedule more time for um that way you can work with the actors and get the blocking and i can get the lighting right and then we can just like get it all um together and just you know try to make it work it might take a few takes but um the sacrifice would be the other scenes where it doesn't have to be as super polished where we can get away with like you know shooting it a little quicker so i think it, it'll be about compromise um and i think at the end of the day direct the director doesn't want his film to look like shit either um unless mm -hmm. he's a masochist but uh, i think the cinematographer um half their job is 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 going to be in pre-production where they have to have these negotiations with the director um i think it's very easy for a dp to come onto a job and be like <laughs> yes sir i'll do whatever you want me to do um and i think that's the big mistake because at the end of the day you will be disappointed in what you shoot and then the person that you're shooting for will also be disappointed because you did everything they wanted and you had no opinions so as a dp you need to show up with what you with what you think is the best solution is um and i don't want you know younger dps to show up like with this like dick attitude with their where they think they're they're right and they know what what it what it's all about the idea is to show up with the best solution so the director is going to present you with what he thinks or what he wants and you can either be like that could work or be like that's going to cause these problems here's what i recommend so it's a little bit about like knowing how to have a conversation with the director gauging what to speak out about and what you can let slide um and you're always going to want to fight for everything and you should because uh, you know it's your job but 
you you don't want to go into it just kind of like, yeah, you know, we'll just make it cinematic. And then that's your goal. And you don't think about all the stuff that comes with it. Um, Pre-production is like so important for a cinematographer. And I know there are a lot of people out there who don't do any pre-production. They just show up and they think they'll figure it out on the day. Whereas um, the people who do plan and and, and do know how they're going to approach something... Um, even if it doesn't always turn out that way, end up having the best looking stuff. And I think movies like ours, like I don't want to toot our own horn or anything, but they do prove that you can get a really, really good looking product, even if you don't have a ton of cash. Like where what we lacked in money for this movie, we made up with, made up for with planning and just going over things relentlessly. <laughs> So if if you don't have a lot of cash and you only have a couple lights and like a flag or whatever, like do your planning, like Latif said. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of films are naturally lit as well. Like they don't use lights on some stuff; they just shape light. So you know, having a big ass piece of foam and you know two four by four floppies would be enough, um, which is not a lot. But if you if you know how to you know, work your way around as a cinematographer, then that could be enough to get a really good-looking image. I mean, even for my short film, I used, at most, in a scene, I used two lights, at most. That's it, for the whole thing. Everything else was naturally Mm -hmm. lit. Uh, But I knew going into it that I wouldn't really need to use a a ton of lighting if I I planned it properly. Um, And that's kind of... So what kind of things did you bank on for your light sources? Did you shoot a lot at like sunset where you had that really natural glow coming in? What were you, what were the things you relied on? No, um, there's only one scene that happened at magic hour. You know, it bummed me out a little cause I'm like, Oh, it's the perfect time of day to shoot. But there were no scenes <laughs> in the film that, that needed to be that time of day except for one. So we had one scene around magic hour. Um, and the rest of the scenes were all during daytime. Um, but during those scenes, it's about knowing where um, the sun position is in relation to what your location is. So there was one location that was under a bridge, and I needed to shoot that right when the sun was over the bridge so that that area is in shadow. So I planned for that, and we got that done very easily. And another scene where the actors come out of a vehicle um, and have a conversation um, but the son needed to backlight one of the actors because he was in, in the car. So I, I got that just because of planning. Um, and I didn't require any lights. I just needed one flag to do it. Uh, so these are all just like, go to your location at the time you think you want to shoot. Look at where the sun is. You know, look at the location. Does everything kind of look how you think it should? Um, and that's very easy to do. It didn't cost any money. It just takes a little bit of time. I think that's the thing that people aren't willing to do is go out and, and do that extra little bit of planning. Yeah, and I think that speaks loudly to money's not going to solve everything too. Like planning is what got you there. And it, I bet you if someone had came up to you and said, hey man, uh, like this would never happen, but said, hey, I have an offer for you. I'll give you $10,000 worth of free lighting equipment for as long as you need, but you can't plan anything. 
Would you have chosen that or the planning? <laughs> With all the money I need? Yeah. Just for lighting, not for the whole movie. <laughs> no, no, just for lighting it, would, it wouldn't do me any good. Because um, I don't really need a lot of gear for lighting. I think the planning is still more important. <laughs> but if they said, I'll give you all the money <laughs> you need to make it, then I'd probably <laughs> take that option. Because it would buy me way more time. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely planning is the most important part. Definitely. Um, so the last question that comes to mind in thinking of a newer cinematographer getting on set and needing that time to prepare his lighting and make it look good. What advice would you have for someone? They're on set, it's their short, their feature, whatever it is, and the director's like, we gotta go, like, I wanna shoot more right now. And the cinematographer's like, look, this lighting is not ready, I need more time. What advice would you give that cinematographer? It's like, here's how you go about navigating those waters. I think you just need uh, uh, the proper team behind you, really. Um, sometimes you might have like a really big lighting setup or something that, that requires more than two people. So you, you'll have to get that, you know, pre-lit or, or, or done in advance. And if you're not able to do that stuff, then um, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and shoot it. Because uh, realistically, depending on the film you have, like you might never get a chance to go and shoot that again. Um, so you'll have to like compromise um beautiful lighting sometimes um you know that's the worst thing that could happen um but you know i i think that that's a testament to like planning again um beforehand uh to me the simplest thing to do is if if you're not able to light everything perfectly um at least try to light the thing that you're looking at so the subject um, and if it's an actor, if it's just someone looking at camera, then it's not that hard to pop up a light and, and shape it on on them pretty quickly. But, you know, if we're talking about, like, this big scene where these actors are in, in this elaborate location and it's all got to be lit and, you know, that's tough. <laughs> that you got to, that you got to plan for. You can't just make it work. Yeah, makes sense to me. All right, so... Second topic of the day is color correction. And just to kind of blend these together, first question I want to ask you is, when you're shooting, are you lighting based off what you think the color is going to be? And this might be a, um, a question that's kind of specific to what we don't say because you did the color and the lighting and the shooting for it. But are you lighting based off what you think the color is going to be? Did the image in your head and the way you saw the color shape the way you light all the scenes. Yeah, like, it's not, well, when I talk about color, I don't, I think that it might be a little misleading. Um, you know, when we're talking about doing that, the post work and, and, and really sculpting that final image, it, a lot of it will have to do with contrast and, and stuff like that. And obviously color plays into it, but I didn't vary too much in terms of color that, from what we actually shot. Because if you look at the film, it isn't hyper-stylized or anything. It, it's pretty close mm. to what we shot, except the image is now just more baked in because we shot it all log. 
so even when you were looking at it, it was all pretty flat, because um, it was an S-log. It was a very neutral, flat image, um, but after the grade, it really came to life, but it didn't, I didn't, like, go crazy in the grade. All I did was really bring out what was already in the image. Um, there were, you know, very slight, like, actual, like, changes in, in post-color when it comes to, like, color temperature and stuff like that. Because if I shot a scene daylight, it would stay daylight. I wouldn't, like, turn it green or something. Um, yeah. I think the only scene where there was a little bit of, like, adjusting for color temperature would be the scene at the concert. Um, but it was pretty close. We did a little bit. Yeah. We did a little bit at the uh, the beach, too. Remember, we just slightly, like... Uh, flipped the sequence so we had to make it a bit brighter in that one area yeah but that that was that was a pretty un, unnoticeable change like most people wouldn't even have mm-hmm. seen it it's just like one scene happens a little later in the day than the other so it just bringing down one and, and slightly pushing the other which was a very simple thing to do but well, you know with color correction I I, like I'm a cinematographer who will do my own color because I don't have like a a colorist that I work with and I don't really know any um at my level that I that I trust as well um so I tend to do my own stuff but it gives me um a huge amount of flexibility and control and knowledge of what's actually happening and I you know I I encourage DPs out there to try and color their own stuff at some point. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people who really think like, oh, you got to get away from your work and all this kind of shit. And I'm like, y- you got to know how your images are, are going to come out. Um, and I think if you don't even do it once, then then you might just be like missing a, a huge key to the to the process. I think you've at some point you have to know what it feels like to capture the image and then finally deliver it at the very end um and see it through um it'll let you know what you're actually getting is you know workable um and you might not have all the skills of a colorist but um the more you do it the better you're gonna get uh and and my recommendation would be to try even taking some scenes from a film you shot and try coloring them you know and you'll really get to know whether you've done something right or not but you know, with this movie, the one we shot, um, I played it all pretty close to what we saw on set. So, and because I had been grading my own stuff for so long, looking at it on set, I could tell pretty easily if I was happy with that, with what I was seeing. Like I could kind of picture if that was going to be an, an image I could use. Um, and if it's not, usually it's because it's too dark. And that's when you start to, like, you know, panic a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll make sense to me. Um, so since you're the expert in color, um, I'm just going to let you roll with this. So what what are the biggest things that you think people should know about color and how to color a movie in post? Well, we have a unique situation where I, I was shooting it and, and did the color on it. But I, you know, I, I had done color on a few features already, um, on tons of short films, and and I I just know the process. Um, 
to a point where I feel confident enough that I, I could do it on my own work as well. Uh, but I, I think that's a unique s scenario. Um, and you might work with a DP who does do um, color work. Um, I don't think that's very uncommon, especially um, on independent projects. A lot of cinematographers will do uh, color work as well. But some of them don't do color work and they and they will try to do color work and that can end up being a problem too um, I recently worked on a feature um, as a colorist where a colorist came on and, and did a pass of the film and then the DP wasn't happy with it so the DP went and did a pass of the film and then the director wasn't happy with it then I finally showed up and was like listen, this is all going to shit we gotta grade the whole thing from... <laughs> scratch like we got to grade it from the top with none of anyone's color because everyone's gone in very different directions um and what i had to do was talk to the director and be like what do you want this is your film so what do you want this to look like and then we had a conversation and by the end of the film when i got to the last scene it was like great this looks like what i'm imagining and it's like good um that's the goal uh and, and the problem is, I think cinematographers are, as they should be, very precious about the the things they've shot, and they want it to to reflect the the vision they had when they were shooting it. But you know they have to shoot it properly, and then they have to do the due diligence and make sure it's going to a colorist who knows what they're doing, um, and not just leaving that up to the director. The director could be like, oh, my buddy. He's good with Photoshop. Maybe he can color this feature. And then it just looks like ass. <laughs> um, so you don't want to have that come up. You know, make sure as once you're done shooting, you're talking to the director and be like, hey, here's some people I recommend. Or if you don't have people you recommend, tell the director we should find someone. We should look at someone's reel. We should look, look for colorists in our area that we think could do the job. Um, and then you guys should meet and then talk about what you want to do. And then... I, I always recommend to let the colorists do a pass on their own. Um, like without any notes to start with? No, no. You can give them notes to start with and, and let them know what direction you want to go in. But I mean, let them do the actual work by themselves. Don't like sit with them. Um, <clears throat> let them do the first pass on their own and then come together and, and adjust off of that. Um, and, and it depends on how hands-off you are. Like I would not be fun to work with a colorist because I'd, I'd like at some point like you know jump on the <laughs> controls and, and be like yeah you can take a break <laughs> um, <laughs> which is why I, I tend to color my own stuff but you know there's some DPs who, who are very hands off and collaborative which I think is a good quality to have um, so uh, you know learning about how your colorist likes to work um, and also hiring a colorist <laughs> Uh, and not just leaving that to the editor because sometimes people can do that too where they're like yeah the editor can just color it and they'll just throw some LUTs on it and it looks like shit again um, <laughs> I think understanding that doing color correction is not something that you can just pull out it's not an Instagram filter um, I've been doing it long enough where I know how easy it is to really really fuck, fuck an image up very easy to just like go in the the wrong direction and it takes a lot of 
time and skill to get the right image um and there's there's you know your life experiences really add up to to how you're able to manage that and for myself like i've i've been doing photography for a very very long time and and the thing with my photography is i shoot raw images so every image that i produce it needs to be colored i need to like um take it and 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 bring it to a place where I'm happy with it. So I'll be adjusting the contrast and the shadows and the saturation and the hues on everything until I'm happy with that image. I've done that thousands and thousands of times. So when it came to actually coloring footage, I I wasn't just kind of like, I don't know where to start. I already had a basis from photography and I understood all those elements. And then you slowly start to, to learn how that applies to video. And then you know, after you do some shorts and music videos and features, eventually you feel very confident um, about doing that work. And it's always a challenge. There's always something new to deal with. But um, once you've done it before, it's not as scary to, to try. But I think if you if you don't value that position in film and you just, you know, let the editor do it or something like that, or you, even as a director, like, oh, I'll just throw some filters on it. It does not work that way. Um, this isn't... I'm speaking specifically for like if you're trying to make you know something of high quality you want to dedicate time to these to these parts of the process um and you know if you're just like a a DSLR filmmaker and you're making little YouTube short films and you do that like I don't give a shit (laughs) I've done that before too in the early stages but you know we're talking about making professional work at some point and if you're going to do that you've got to do it properly so when a director comes to you and they're like, I want you to do color, what's the most important thing that they can come to you with? Is it references that make it the easiest for you? Like, hey, man, I really like the way this Coen Brothers movie looks and this movie. Can we do something along those lines? Or is it just and like what's the best thing for them to come to you with to for you to see their vision? Uh, it'll it'll differ from colorist. Um, to colorist i i know like if you come to some you know one guy and you have like almost like a, a lookbook of stills from like movies you know that colorist might just be like pissed off and like what the fuck is this <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't think that's gonna be common i, I don't know any colorist who would freak out because it seems like a very reasonable thing to to do but um i think having references as well as being able to communicate what you're looking for um a lot of it will just be um through conversation and and i think when it comes to references what helps is not not directly going to other movies and using those as references because it becomes very very um i'd say like boring for the colorist like they're like oh that's the look you're going for Okay, we're gonna do that thing, um, and and realistically, like you don't want your movie to look like other movies. I think with new filmmakers, they have a thing where their ultimate goal is to make their movie look like a real movie, and I don't think that's very important. I think you should aspire to make good movies that look like what they should be. They should be unique, as opposed to looking like what a real movie looks like. Um, so, showing up with references that are like photographs or you know pictures from magazines anything 
that's like not specifically a movie but to, but kind of like have a sense of what what you're looking for showing up with that could also be more exciting for the colors whether they're like oh this is interesting this is a weird reference you've picked um you know like national geographic photos or or like you know photos from like a you know vogue magazine whatever something something about fashion like stuff like that could be more interesting for a colorist to to look at and use as opposed to you just take like a bunch of stills from like blade runner and you show up in the color <laughs> in the room and you're like i want it to look like blade runner um i think the trouble with that is like if if the thing you've shot looks like you know looks like it's all naturally lit and very very matter of fact and then you show up with blade runner stills then there's a there's a huge it's not gonna happen yeah there's a huge gap in what you're expecting and what the colorist is going to be able to deliver <laughs> um, and that, that's just about being realistic <laughs> i think if someone shows up like that you probably wouldn't take the job but there are some people who who will show up with references that are that are pretty far from what they're attempting and i've i've had that myself i've had people be like i want this to look like this and then the thing they shot is so far from that and in my head i'm trying to figure out <laughs> how they came to that conclusion where they're like i want it to look like this and i'm like holy shit this does not look like that but there you know there's times where i would make suggestions to the director when they were just like i don't really know how to start this which i think is a completely fair way to actually show up it actually might um, create a more interesting product at the end through discussion um, it's okay to say you don't exactly know where you want to go <clears throat> and the colorist might be able to look at some stills and be like well how about we try this and it's just some little tests and, and, and see what you can come up with yeah it sounds pretty reasonable to me um, so is there anything else that you think people should know about color uh, you know as with all things I think there are things that can help with at least having the, the conversation when it comes to those things. Like my recommendation to to, to young directors that, that want to get into the into this world is to pick up a camera and start taking photos and start documenting, you know, the world around you in your life. Um, I think photography is is, um, is a very useful um tool to learn about filmmaking um you know because the basic building block is, of cinema is is the shot you know the shot that you see is the is the first thing you use to build um cinema and photographs are just taking shots so if you learn how to take pro take one shot properly and you learn that process then essentially you've, you're learning the language of cinema um and when you communicate to, to cinematographers and when you talk to colorists because you've done photography and you understand you know white balance and temperatures and all that kind of stuff it, it becomes less tiresome to have this conversation with a colorist um and a little easier to to go go for you know a final look that you're going for um and you know not everyone's going to enjoy photography some people hate photography um, I think if you're inclined to photography, if you kind of like it already, then keep keep going at it because it's, I think, only going to help in that process. Well, I think that's good advice. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I can think of to ask you for color and lighting. Is there anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap up the episode? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, the more you watch, the more films you watch, the more you'll see, um, you know, what consistent good lighting looks like. But also, the the more you watch films, like, the more you'll see where they break the rules and they do all the things that people say not to do. You know, you'll see some some scenes and shots in movies that are front lit and be like, wait a second, that's front lighting. You can't do that. But they just did. <laughs> you know, one of the greatest cinematographers just front lit. So, you know, what are you going to do about that? And how did they approach it? So, like, you know, these rules help when you're learning. And then when you have the skill honed and you become somewhat of an expert at, at what you're doing, that's when you can start to break the rules. Um, because eventually you're going to be like, I don't want to backlight everything. It just looks so, you know, contrived. I want to do something bold and different. And then you put the light somewhere else and then you get it, you know, something that looks very different than what everyone else is doing. Um, I think it's all about learning the basics and perfecting everything you do shot by shot. Again, like the, the building blocks, take it one shot at a time until every shot starts to look more like what you want. I'd say that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good place to wrap up the episode. Solid advice I think everyone should listen to. And yeah, until next week, I'm Matt Ralston. I'm a two. Do you do much social media these days? Um, I'm on Instagram a little bit. Uh, mm. Spending most of my time editing, so not, not, not too much. What's your Instagram handle or whatever it's called? It's Latif underscore eight. There you go. Follow Latif underscore eight. And until next week, this film craft is brought to you by Pippa. It's P-I-P-P-A dot I-O podcast hosting service. That's cheap and awesome. Well, see you guys next week. <laughs>